There are signs everywhere. Just look around. Just look around the street, the city, your town, the country, the earth. Look around. There are signs everywhere. The question is, what are the signs? What signs are you talking about? Well, it depends on what particular signs you are talking about. There are all kinds of signs. There are street signs, store signs, school signs, protest signs, gang signs. There are signs of growth, signs of stagnation. There are biological signs. There are astronomical signs. There are signs of getting old. For men, you have a couple key signs when it comes to getting old. It's the thinning and graying of the hair and perhaps a little bit of a rounding <laughs> of the midsection. These are signs of getting old for men. The signs of getting old for women. Let's see. I'm going to leave that one alone. So. The, the, there's another group of signs that needs to be talked about. What are those? The signs of actually being a true believer and follower of Jesus Christ. There are signs that go along with the life of a person who is a true believer, a true follower of Jesus Christ. The question might be posed as follows. What are the signs in a person's life that they are a true believer and follower of Jesus and truly are members of the new covenant. You might ask it this way, how do you know that you're saved? How do you know? You can say, oh, I'm saved. Well, how do you know? You could ask a question that comes at it from a different angle. Why do some people who claim to be believers and followers of Jesus seem to struggle with that as a reality in their lives? The short answer to that last question is that they are still trying to live their lives in the flesh and not in the spirit. Last week in Genesis 16, we saw where Abram and Sarah totally got in the flesh. They got out of the spirit, they got out of the plan of God, they got out of of God's will and God's plan for their lives. And they got, as we talked about last week, they got in the flesh. They had a fleshly idea. They got an idea from the culture at large. And we said, well, let's go with this. It seems to be something that may work. And we talked about how they got in the flesh, fleshly thinking and fleshly action with the whole Hagar situation. And then, of course, Hagar was with child in that situation with the baby Ishmael. Tonight, in chapter 17, we'll see tonight how God will lead them back into spirit living, back into living in the spirit, how he wants them to live. And truly a part of the covenant that he was making with them. And we'll see tonight what are the signs of a person who's living, thinking, and acting in the spirit and the reality of the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Because we're living tonight, you and I, we're living on this side of the cross. We're living on this side of the Lord's 
first coming in human flesh to the earth. And so we're talking about also the new covenant. So if you're taking notes, the first sign of the spiritual life in the new covenant is this. It's a new walk, a new walk. Let's read it in Genesis 17, verses 1 and 2. It says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and you will multi- and I will multiply you exceedingly. A sign of spiritual life in Jesus is that you have a new walk, a new walk in your life. This chapter begins with the Lord meeting with Abram again. And if you've been following along with us in our series in Genesis, the Lord has come to Abram at these particular points. Uh, and, And so here we are, we come again to another point where the Lord is coming to meet with Abram. We see that the Lord at certain times appears to Abram and meets with him. We saw it first in chapter uh, chapter 12. We remember when God in chapter 11 had disinherited the nations and he separated the mankind and gave them over to the, to the sons of God and, and, and he just disinherited the nations. And then we turn the page to chapter 12 and that's where God met with Abram in Ur of the Chaldeans and he called him out of Ur at that particular point. And then we saw a couple chapters later in chapter 15 where the Lord met with him again. And that's where he began to really establish that covenant with him that he spoke about in chapter 12. And really that chapter was really where we saw that where the Lord cut the covenant. Remember, he had, uh, he had uh, Abram go out and cut the, the animals in two and prepare that covenant. And that's what they would do in old Old times, they would cut a covenant. When two people would make a covenant with one another, they would literally cut a covenant, and it was uh, a, a cutting of the animal, and then they would pledge, locking arms, they would pledge uh, to that covenant. Remember that when, when the Lord had Abram do that, he had the animals placed out there. And remember, we talked about him shooing the, the vultures away. I don't know about, you know, I, I, you know the, the more I'm a Christian, and, and I've been saying this for years, and people, we, all, we, we as Christians who, who know the timing of the Lord and the way that the Lord works in our lives, that there's no coincidence, right? There's no such thing as coincidence. People have coined a term like God instance or something, you know, where God does things. Well, it was right after I taught that passage where, where Abram went out and shooed the vultures away that you know that very next week I walked outside of my house and there was there was a pack of vultures right in front of the next door neighbor's house and there was a dead turtle that they were eating and I got it on video if you want to see it but I went over and I shooed the vultures away and I said I'm like Abraham over here <clears throat> shooing the vultures away and remember after that that Abram saw the, 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 the flaming torch, the smoking oven, the, that, 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 that depiction of Christ actually walking in between the, the pieces of the, 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 uh, the covenant, and he literally made that covenant, and we reference that passage in Hebrews where he swore by his own self uh, in making the covenant. Now, here we come to chapter 17, and the Lord meets with Abram again, and we can do the math from the last time 
that the Lord met with him to this time was about 13 years. Because when God first came to him, Abram was, in in chapter 15, he was about 86 years old. And now he's about 99 years old. And so there's 13 years that have elapsed. And so sometimes you think of when you read the Bible and you read these chapters and they, if you read them in one sitting, you go, oh, well, man, Abram was lucky. He was just meeting with the Lord every other day. And I just wish it was like that for me. I mean, I'd like to meet him up at Starbucks, you know, and we could just have a talk and then tomorrow we could do it again and whatever. The reality is you can do that. But as far as these face-to-face meetings where he literally saw the Lord, there was some time. There was some time in between. And we see that time elapsed here. God meets with Abram, and he tells him that he is almighty God. Look at it, verse 1. He says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Now, remember, we titled the, 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 uh, the whole series Genesis, the foundation of everything. That's because everything has its beginning in Genesis. In fact, the word Genesis means beginning. And we come to the firsts of just about everything that happens, the first time it happens is in Genesis. And this is the first time that we see God referring to himself as the almighty God. And you're familiar with the term, if you've been around church for any length of time, the term is El Shaddai, El Shaddai. And if you were around in the 80s, you remember Amy Grant when she broke onto the scene with the song El Shaddai. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to your iTunes this is, this is CCM Classic Hits. Um, <laughs> age to Age was the album. El Shaddai. The name is translated as Almighty God. It means all-powerful, all-sufficient one. This is who God is. He's El Shaddai. He's all-powerful. He's the all-powerful God. He made the world, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do in your life. He's, he's going to do what he said that he's going to do in Abram's life. And so think about it. The time has elapsed. Abram and Sarah got themselves, got in the flesh, did the whole Hagar thing. And so now it's 13 years later and God's coming up. Look, I'm El Shaddai. I'm the almighty. I'm almighty God. You might be 99, Abram, but remember, I'm El Shaddai. I'm El Shaddai. I'm the almighty God. And so he's going to bring about what he said he is going to do. And then he calls Abram. He says, walk before me. Walk before me and be blameless. And this is what God does. When he brings us into the life of the spirit, when he brings us into the kingdom, he gives us a new walk, a new walk. A true believer has a new walk. It's not the same old walk that you always had. It's it's, it's not the same way. It's not in the same way. uh, a pattern. It's not, it's, there's, there's nothing like it because God has given us a brand new life and he's given us a new walk and he wants us to walk before him, to walk before him, to walk with him. As Christian even referenced that in the opening, that walking with us, walking before the Lord in our lives. And this is what Abram, God says to Abram, walk before me and be blameless. The life of faith that the Christian has is a life that is compared to, in the Bible, a walk. There's, the, there's a walk of faith, there's, there's, a, there's a run, there's a race. 
a walk, a run, and a race. And so there's this idea of moving, of, of going forward with the Lord. And this is what God is wanting to do in our lives. He's wanting to set us on a new path, on a new walk, on a new race. He set a race before us. And, you know, you see these guys and gals that run marathons. Anybody, any marathon runners in here? Anybody ever run a marathon? Yeah, 26.2 miles. And you can guarantee if, you, if there were anybody had run 26.2 miles in a marathon, we would know because we'd see the sticker on the back of your car. Because if you did it, you got to get the, I mean, you, you don't run a marathon and not get the 26.2 because you want to let the world know I suffered, you know. <laughs> I suffered and I did it and I completed it. But what happens is, I mean, I don't, I, I don't run. I, I, I tried running for a while, and then I just, you know, my, my, I hurt my legs and everything, and I gave up on it. I gave up on myself. And, uh, and so, but I, I see these other guys, I see these other gals go out there to run marathons. And, you know, they get out there to the race and everything, and they get, you know, they go up to the registration, and in the registration, they give them, you know, I guess they, you know, they got some type of a thing, and they, they put a, like a badge on them, Right. Right? Yeah, there's like a badge and it has a number and it says the name of the marathon and whatever. And they're out there and they're like, they're all ready to go, right? Because they got the, they got the badge on there and they're all ready. You know, here's the starting line. So get lined up and they're out there feeling good because, you know, they're ready to go. They've got their, you know, they've got their number, right? <laughs> they've got their number. I mean, I could actually sign up for a marathon, get all registered, go up there, get my number. And like, I, I didn't finish, but I got my number, you know? <laughs> I could hang that, you know, just take that down, hang that up, frame it. <clears throat> I wouldn't have the 26.2 sticker, but I'd have that. I'd save that. The Lord puts us in the race. He puts us in the race. He gets us the badge. He gets us the number. We get all set, and he sets us down, and he says, here's the start, and, and just walk before me. Just I've set this race before you, and I, I want you to go with me. I want you to run with me. And he puts us in a new race. It's a new race. It's, it's, it's not a rat race, but it's, it's, it's a walk. It's a run. It's a race. It's living out our lives before him. It's walking with him. It's living for him. And we run. We run in this race, and we walk before him, and we run in this race, and we run for a prize. We run from our, from our prize. From the moment that the Lord puts us in the race, he gives us a new walk, we run for a prize. What is the prize? From the day that we start, to the day we draw our dying breath, we're running for a prize, and it is this, the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul talks about that in Philippians, right? The prize of the upward call. What is the upward call? The upward call is the call to the winner's stand. When, when, when we complete the race, when we complete the walk before him, he's going to call us up to the winner's stand. The imagery there that Paul uses in Philippians is that literally the call to the, to the platform, to the podium, to receive the prize. It's the upward call. Like, you know, when you see the little platform, there's the top one for the gold medalist and the silver medalist and the, you know, the, the, the bronze down here, right? He's calling us upward to the winner's stand. And so we keep going. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this race in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 1 and 2. I'll have it on the screen there for you. It says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, 
endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so here it is, we see it, the Lord has set us in a race, he set a race before us, and he wants us to walk with him all the days of our lives. And this is what he was calling Abram to. Look, I'm calling you to a particular walk with me, and I want you to walk before me, and I want you to be blameless. We have a new walk, and that walk is to walk before God, and we're called to be blameless. It's a blameless walk. It's a walking of living and being blameless in this world of corruption. How do we do that? Whenever I come to a verse of scripture like that, I just feel so, wow, I can't do it. I'm so inadequate. I can't live up to this verse. How, how, how is it that the Lord wants me to be blameless? Well, we are first blameless because of what Christ has done for us and in us. We're blameless because we've been forgiven. Amen? We've been forgiven. We've confessed our sins before him. We've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. And if you've been cleansed from all unrighteousness, as we talked about last week in 1 John 1, 9, if you've done that, then you are walking, you're blameless at that point. You're clean before the Lord. You're blameless. You're clean. You're forgiven. And you keep on walking with him. So we're, we're blameless because of what Christ has done for us and in us. He's cleansed us from unrighteousness. But then we're called to walk also in obedience to him. So it just doesn't stop there like, oh, you know, God's called us to walk blameless and, and you know, it's everything that he's done and, and whatever. And then we can just continue to do whatever we want to do because God's going to just make us blameless. Yes, God's going to make you blameless when you come before him, when he cleans you up, when, he, when you confess your sin before him. We talked about that last week. Remember, confession is agreement. You're agreeing with God that what you did was sin, and you're being cleansed. But then there is a call to, 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 to continue to walk blameless. There's a call to obedience. There's a call to holiness. Look how Jesus spoke to the woman who was caught in adultery in, in John chapter 8. You remember that passage in, in the life of Christ when you know, they brought a woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery. Now you wonder how that happened, right? You know, the, these, these Pharisees or whatever snooping around, oh, oh you know, and, and, and coming in on her and catching her. Of course, they didn't bring the man to Jesus. They brought the woman, brought the woman and, and, and put her before Christ and said, the, the law says that, that she should be stoned, stoned to death. That's what the law says. And you remember the story. What does the Lord do? How does the Lord handle the woman caught in adultery? He says, okay, he who here is without sin, you can go ahead and cast the first stone. And then he stoops down and he, he's writing in the sand, right? He's just writing in the sand, waiting for the person who's going to be so bold as to cast a stone, right? But that's not what happened. One by one, beginning with the oldest all the way down to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. And the Lord said to her, where are your accusers? Where are, you, where are they that accuse you? And she said, there's none. There's none. And what did he say? And here's what most people in, our, in today's culture miss, this verse. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
Go and sin no more. The fact that you're forgiven isn't a continued license to continue in that line of activity. This is the word of the Lord, that we're called to be blameless and walk blameless in a crooked generation. Now, just as an interesting side note, what did the Lord do there? It was an unbelievable thing that he did right there, how he handled that situation. Because the law did call for the stoning of the person caught in adultery, right? But what he did was a masterful use of the law, right? Remember, he's our advocate, Jesus the righteous. He acted in a, in a great advocacy for this woman because what he did is he disassembled the witnesses against her. A, court, a capital crime could only be administered on the testimony of two witnesses, Well, he disassembled the witnesses and they walked away not to testify to condemn her. And so therefore telling her, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow. What an incredible thing, an incredible thing that Jesus did there. And, uh, you know, scholars have have always been amazed at how the Lord Jesus handled that particular situation. Go and sin no more. So what is the first sign of someone that's a true believer, someone that's a follower of Christ, someone that's in covenant with Jesus Christ in the new covenant? Well, they have a new walk. They genuinely have a new walk. And they begin to walk that that path. They begin to run that race with the Lord. They begin to run the spiritual race that is set before him. And the people... That, that don't enter that race or that don't get out of the starting blocks, you wonder and you look on and you say, what's, what's up? What's going on? Well, they, 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 they haven't, they, there's, there's no sign that they've taken God up on the fact that he's giving them a new walk, that he's asking him, asking them to walk before him. Now, number two tonight, the second sign, and we're going to divide this chapter into two messages, Okay. So we're only got one more point tonight. So um, the second sign of the believer, the spiritual person in Christ that's in, in covenant with the Lord is this, a new name. First, a new walk. Second, a new name. Let's pick it up, verse three. It says this, Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is within with, with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Okay, so if you're taking notes, the first point tonight, the first sign is you have a new walk. The second one is this, you have a new name. You have a new name. The sign that you have true spiritual life in Jesus and that you're in the new covenant is that you have a new name in Christ. The Lord goes on. He tells Abram, your name is no longer Abram. 
your name shall be Abraham. It doesn't seem like a big change, but it's a huge change. Amen? He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Uh, now, just a little bit in the Hebrew alphabet. I want to just look at this because this is actually kind of a cool thing. Um, and not getting too deep into this, but when you, when you look at the Hebrew alphabet, the, the Hebrew alphabet is, is, a, is a language that was actually, you have letters of the alphabet, but also the letters in the early Hebrew were actually what pictographs, what's called pictographs. So they were actually pictures that meant something. And so if you looked at the pictures of the letters, you could actually make out words and sentences if you knew what the pictures meant. Okay, so if, if you look at uh, the, the alphabet here, I want to look at the letter A. Well, put, put, put the first two letters up there, A, B. This is, this, is our, this is A and B, and of course, this is English, right? So, <clears throat> but you have the, uh, the pictograph of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and so you have the letter A in the Hebrew is the, le is the letter Aleph. Aleph. And in the early Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew, you had the pictograph of the letter A, Al, uh, or Aleph, was this. And, I, and I've got this. It's a little blurry, so bear with me here. But the pictograph was literally the pic picture of an oxen head. And so you have this oxen head. And the picture depicted this. It, it depicted strength. It, it depicted power, the power and strength of the oxen, right? But it also depicted that of a chief or leader. And so you had a chief, a leader who was powerful. And then you went, okay, so that's A. So you can take that pictograph down because it's a little blurry. Um, and then you go to B. So you, have, so you have Abraham, so you have A, and then the next letter is B, right? So you go to B. Now, B, the letter B in, in uh, Hebrew was, is bet. So you have aleph and bet. And bet was, is actually, it's actually a word and a letter. It's actually the word for house. And so when you put A, aleph, and bet together, you have the, lead, the, the leader of the house. And that's why the, the, you could actually figure out from the pictures that what that's talking about is the father of the house, the father, because he's the leader of the house. And so you have A and B. And so, so Abe is father, Raham. And so he was Abram, which was high father. And he changed, and the, the Lord changed his name and said, you're not going to be Abram anymore. You're not going to be high father. You're going to be Abraham, which is father of a multitude. You're going to be father of a multitude. So he literally changed Abram's name right there and gave him this new name. So, and then a little bit later in the passage, and we, we won't look at that tonight, but you can see where he also changes Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. And most scholars believe that Sarai was, uh, you know, what I found is that it was contentious and then the new name, Sarah, is princess. So any Sarahs in the house? No? No Sarahs? Okay. You're a princess. And it depicts 
what the Lord does when he brings us into the covenant, when he brings us into the family. He brings us from this place where we're just caught up in strife and the world and flesh and all this, and he brings us into the family and he makes us part of the royal family. He brings us right in and we're princes and princes, princesses. Yeah, it's true. It really is. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Next week, actually. So the Lord changes his name. And this is what the Lord continues to do as he, as he announces his covenant with each person. With each person he brings into the covenant, he changes their name. Later in Genesis, we're going to see where Abram's son, Isaac, has two sons, twin boys, right? And one of them's name is Jacob. His name is going to be changed by the Lord from Jacob to Israel. We won't get into that tonight because that's a powerful study. So I'm going to leave that one right there and I'm going to move on into the New Testament. We come into the New Testament and the Lord is still doing this name changing thing, right? He's still about changing people's names because the name change is a change of your identity and a change of your purpose and a change of your destiny. And so what the Lord does the Lord Jesus, on a particular occasion, when they were in Caesarea Philippi, the, the text I'm referencing is Matthew chapter 16. He's up by Caesarea Philippi with the disciples, and he turns to the disciples and he asks them, who do men say that I am? And they answered him. And they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So the Lord changes Peter's name. Now, some have suggested that Simon was a name that meant, and I heard this growing up, some have suggested kind of mushy, wishy-washy type of a thing. It actually, and I'm not, and I'm, I'm not displacing that at all. That could be very well part of the name. Um, it's actually from the, the root actually is, is she or Shema, which is to hear uh, in, in the Shema. And, and so he changes it from Simon to Peter. And there's a double entendre with what Jesus says him, because you're going to be, you're going to be Peter. And on this Petra, right on this rock, I will build my church. And so he changes his, his name. And this is what the Lord does. The Lord still does this. He changes your name, your name, your name again is attached to your identity. When people know you by a particular name, they say, oh, yeah, that guy or that girl. Yeah, I know them because your name is attached to that identity. But he changes your name. And when he changes your name, you become the Lord's. When you come into the kingdom, you become the Lord's and he changes your name and your identity changes. You have a new identity. You have a new destiny. You're no longer outside the family, but now you're inside the family. Right. So you're a son or a daughter. You weren't a son or a daughter, but now you are because he's made you a son or daughter. You've been born again from the father above, right? So, so now you're, you're, you're inside the family. You're in the household of faith. You're in the kingdom. But it doesn't stop there. Not only are you a son or a daughter, but you're a saint. You go from, from a profane thing to a holy thing. 
What's that? Yeah. You become a holy thing. In fact, this is the, the, the Paul, the apostle, addresses his letters to the churches, and he says this, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints at rare, Rome, Thessalonica, wherever. To the saints? You mean the small little group of people that are really, you know, no, no, to the church, to the Christians, to the people who are in the kingdom at Rome, the saints of God, the hagios, the holy things of God. So he's, he's, he's changed you. He's made you from, from, from outside the family to a son or daughter. He's turned you from a profane thing to a, to a, a holy thing. He's made you a priest. You have this priesthood relationship with the Lord. He's made you a king. He's, he's made you a prince or princess. He made Sarah a princess. Amen. It's made you a princess too, or, or a prince. How's that? Well, because we're all a royal priesthood of believers. We're kings and queens in the kingdom. And we're representing the Lord on the earth. And so our whole destiny has been changed. So you may have had all these other names, all these other descriptions of what your life was like before you came to Christ. But when you came to Christ, everything changed, including your name. And brought you into the new covenant. Now, there will be those who want to change your name back. There will be those that come into your life that want to change your name back to something. Or maybe it was something that you never were called or never had that name, but you know what? Yeah, you're this, or you're that. You, 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 you should do this. You should do this activity. And they want to change your name. Some around you will perhaps have a different vision of who you are. This happened to, to Daniel and the other Hebrews uh, young men who were taken into captivity when Nebuchadnezzar and his armies came in to Jerusalem in 586 BC. They came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. And at that time, they took a, a group of them captive. They took a, a, an amount of the, the, the Hebrew men and they were of the tribe of Judah and they took them into captivity. And what did they do? They changed their names. Here they had these godly names, like Daniel, right? I wish I had a name with like an E-L on the end. I have an E-S. I don't have an E-L. See, an E-L is God. That's God. We just talked about it, El Shaddai, right? So if you have an E-L in your name, Michael, Daniel, Nathaniel, all that good stuff. Look at it, Daniel, uh, Daniel 1, verse 6. Put it up on the screen there. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Right. You know these names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That wasn't their names. That was the names that the enemy gave them. That was the names that the captives gave them. That wasn't the names of God. 
for them. And so what happens is the Lord, the, the, the enemy, and, though, and, and there will be those that will want to change your name or assign a new destiny to you or get you to follow a different path. And it's not the destiny that you have. If you go from that chapter in chapter one of Daniel, you skip ahead two chapters to chapter three. And there was that occasion when they were those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were told that they, at the sound of the music, had to bow down to the tower, the, 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 the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. When you, when you hear the music, bow down and worship. Does that, sound, does that ring any bells for you? And they wouldn't do it. And they wouldn't do it. Why? Because I'm not Shadrach. I'm not Meshach. I'm not Abednego. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a member of the tribe of Judah. I'm a person of God. I'm, I'm with the Lord uh, Most High, and he has a name for me, and it's not what the enemy wants to call me. So people will try to tell you who you are. They'll try to tell you, give you some type of a name. But remember whose you are and what God has called you. Now, I want to skip ahead to the end of the book. In the, last chap- in the last book, in Revelation chapter 2, there is a promise about a name change for all of us. Amen? Pick it up, verse 17. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So the Lord has a new name reserved in heaven for you, for those who overcome. You're going to get the white stone, the yes and amen to the promises of God. I believe this is a reference possibly to, and this is my take on it, the umum and the thermum. Remember the stones that were inside the, the breast pocket of the, the high priest, and one was kind of a dark one and one was a light one, a white one, and they would reflect and refract the light in, in uh, the light of the candlestick as they would go in, and they would go in with the umum and the thumum, and they would discern the will of the Lord, whether it be yes, a yes or a no. And here, to the one who overcomes, you get the white stone. You get the yes and amen to all the promises of God. And not only that, but you get a new name written down in glory. Amen? And it's mine. And it's mine. Right? And and so I joked with David about he's asking me, which song should we close with? And I said, well, how about a new name written down in glory? And and, and he says, well, I know that one. But, the, you know, the new name that you have, it's kind of like it's a reservation. You have a reservation right. in heaven. Yeah. You have a reservation. And when you get up to heaven, to the front desk, I'd like to check in, please. Right? right. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm diamond platinum elite. <laughs> right? I'd like to check in. Say, oh, what's the name? Oh, we got, we got it. It's a new name. It's a new name. 
It's not Charles. It's a new name written down in glory. And that new name is on reservation, assuring your reservation as you come into the kingdom and come into glory. Your new name is waiting. The promise of this new name is the assurance of your reservation and your reservation is secure in heaven. And so, for now, the calling of the Lord is to live the spiritual life that you've been called to. To be the person that God has called you to be, that he has called you by this new name, by these new names that he's made you to be, a son or a daughter, a saint, a priest, a king, all these things. Living out your life in a new walk, in a new way, as you walk, as you live in a new walk, in a new name.